This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Tanya and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show falls into two parts. First, we're going to talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There is no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do anything it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like a classic disease model and the victim is a helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you're an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places prisons, institutions or death. If you think that sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is the major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop. The old saying is, one too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind and the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, the same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Welcome, Phil. It's really lovely to have you here. Let's start with a little bit about your background, like your age, your occupation, your family. What's the, what's the background for you? Sure, sure. I'm 51 years old um, at the moment, and uh, that's um, funny, sort of. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll be 52 soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so 
my background and uh, working area has been just general, um, you, you know, labouring. Um, a lot of stores work and forklift driving has been my kind of go-to um, for work in that area. I've got um, four other brothers, um, but mother and mum and dad have passed away. Do you have a family of your own? No, you have- so I haven't got never. It never. Um, I, I didn't ever have that in my um, little world. It never. It never really occurred to me to do that. I think that could be from just how I've been brought up. Mm. Um, it didn't really occur to me to. I mean, I've had a few girlfriends um, and stuff, but kids and things like that were completely off the table for me. It was yeah. too scary to even think of. Um, I have a brother who has uh, two lovely daughters, and uh, and he's married, and they're doing well, and and good for him, and I'm really proud of him. But I couldn't uh, get to that. Yeah, I just didn't. I want. I didn't have the tools. I didn't get the tools to. Um, I had enough trouble looking after myself, yeah. and to try and, and if I was, I got quite scared to even think if I had a child, uh, it wouldn't. I wouldn't. It would terrify me because I, I want to give that child everything I didn't get, mm. and um, could I could I um, supply for them what they need and what they want? Well, um, let's let's go back into that stuff a little bit about, I guess, about your childhood mm. and about your background in terms sure. of your original, you know, your family of origin. So, sure. talk to me a little bit about your first drink and what it was like growing up for you. So that would be so uh, my. Background in my my early childhood was quite disruptive, um, whereas mum and dad were drinking. Uh, mum was drinking more, and dad. I think I when I got to because I'm the last born, mm. and I believe I got to the stage where mum and dad might have been a bit sick of each other, and <laughs> just that's what I think. I don't I mean I can't ask them now, but it just I didn't get what my other four brothers would have got. They got the mum and dad, yeah. as it should be, is what life would normally be like. And, and dad might have given them some, some support and, and anyway, Harry could and mum and stuff. But when it got to me, uh, they weren't really around, mm. you know, um, much. Dad was at work, mum was struggling. And it didn't take long for them to split up completely and it was just mum now. And uh, so I, you know, there was no dad around anymore and I'm very like four years old, five years old. So it was just mum and us and the boys. And then it got quite bad, whereas um, we had to go into foster care. So me and my two other brothers went at about the age of six that I was at and we went into um, Chumley Home and stayed there for a few months. And then it was the the journey through foster care, which initially the start of it was a bit rough. The first foster parents were um, weren't very nice. They were a bit mentally and physically abusive, just um, enough to scar you for life in a way that you shouldn't really be. Um, the the fear of people um, who should you should have a lot of trust in. Mm. But then the following foster parents were great. They were absolutely marvelous. And the following ones after that, so I had three sets of foster parents, and they were all. They came to us. We didn't go to them. They would just come along and it was brilliant. So, and then in one of those foster kids homes, it was my brother's birthday and he uh, was, I think I was about 13, about 13. Um, and it was his birthday. I think I was 13. And, and we, they got, they were, we were allowed to have a, shri- a few drinks for the first time. Mm. And I, I engaged and have some drinks and I got quite drunk and uh, it was, <laughs> I quite liked it. You know, it was quite, <laughs> wow. 
And then, but the really first time, and then I moved out of foster care then and moved back with my mother at about 16, 15, 16. And I met some girls down the road who said they were having a party at their house. It was one of their father's or friend's birthday. And they said, would you like to come along? And they had kegs there. And and I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come along. And, and I went in there and I got so drunk, mm. so drunk. And I, and I loved it. I really, I, to be honest, alcohol was magic. And from then on, I would get together with friends in my early years and we'd all get to drive and drink and do our whatever you kid, young young teenagers do, uh, older teenagers as we're getting old now, older mm. in, the, in the area. And, you know, we, we, those friends, we kind of, we got together once in a while as we got older and I got, I went to work and I'd meet them uh, in, the, in the weekends or a Friday night or whatever and we'd get very drunk. It was the thing to do. It was just the thing to do. It was normal. We thought it was what everyone did. So when did you notice that some consequences of that sort of like heavier drinking sort of kicked in? Was it right at the start or was it no, right down the No, no. I thought what we were doing was perfectly normal. Yeah. I thought that's what everyone did. Everyone drinks. It's, it's, the, it's the culture. You never really got any uh, – you never really thought of that. I guess when I moved back home again, because I'd leave mum – few times and go out and do my own thing flat and whatever and then I'd, I'd move back home and I was working at, I don't know where I can't remember quite exactly where I was working, but I was drinking a lot. Oh yes, I was working in a shop as a, as a, as a fruit and veggie shop. It was a great job. Uh, and after work we'd have a few drinks sometimes on a Thursday and I think I just drank a bit too much and I was driving home in my car and I got pulled over. And that mm. was my first drink driving charge. It was a, I wasn't very, I wasn't like extremely over or anything. It was just, just I was just over kind of thing. But it was enough to get lose my license for six months or something, mm. which that was the first consequence of the drinking that I could really remember. Um, there, you know, sort of fast forward, you know, a bit, and it was. Uh, then it got to like in the uh, further years would have been um, missing days of work, ringing up saying the I'm the next day sort of thing. Yeah, um, I'd be drinking with I might be in a flat with people and drinking. I, they're all fine, but I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't go to work today. <clears throat> and even get them to like because one of, one of the times was night shift and I was drinking, and of course they're all up during the day, and oh my goodness. And you just seem to have a few drinks, and then you just don't seem to be able to stop. I just couldn't seem to stop. Uh, mm. I just go, oh, no, I have another one, another one, another one. Oh, fine, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And you wake up, and you're like, oh, no, I can't do this. I can't even face it. So can you guys ring and tell them I'm not well? I'm, I'm in bed. I can't even get out of bed. You know, you make up whatever lies. And it did, it got like that. That was quite a common thing for me for in my work mm. working careers. Um, I was either l very late for work a lot, turn up and I'm like just been drinking on the, the work night. It got to a stage where I was drinking uh, quite often on a work night. Yeah. And in the later years before I, because this is my second time that I've, I've got into recovery, the, f the first time was um, I was probably drinking about five days a week during after work. It would be, it became so bad it was just automatic mm. uh, and I don't know how I slipped into that I just did it really became the normal um, which was abnormal so I would go home from work and it would, I'd go oh no no, I won't drink today no no I won't drink today and I'd go past the bottle store and I just I wouldn't even think about it I would just go into the bottle store it became the very like I said the normal thing so I would drink till 
one, two, three in the morning, and then go to bed, and then try and get up to go to work. And most of the time I did, but sometimes I didn't, and I'd yeah. have to, oh, God, I'm too crook, I can't do it. And it got really bad. It got really bad. It was bad enough that I was, I think I started to feel like I'm going to lose my job here. Yeah. So it got to a good opportunity uh, the first time around, whereas I got voluntary redundancy because the company wasn't doing so well. And I thought this is a good opportunity for me to get out of this job and and seek AA or seek some sort of, um, not seek AA specifically at the start, but that was the uh, what came after. So there was a problem there and you recognised it I recognised it very, very, yep. I, I did. I even told people, I this has got me by the short and curlies. It really mm. does. It's It's got a hold So of you're me. actively looking for something to help you. Yeah, so I, before I left the job, I already had made a couple of phone calls to uh, who I could call, I found. Um, I think the city mission was a was a great uh, first point of call. Mm. And so I, I called them and they asked me how much I'm drinking. They give me the, the, I think, the general questions that they ask. And they said, oh, yes, you've, you've, you know, you're in a very um, bad thing. Then they, another thing they told me is don't stop drinking. What are yeah. you doing? Just carry on because it's a pro- if it can be an issue for people who drink a lot, maybe a lot, of, a lot of strong alcohol and... Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, just stop. But apparently it's very bad for you to do that because you can get in, your body goes into shock and you can get um, – so I, I thought, oh, heck. Um, but I was drinking a lot of beer, just beer mainly. So anyway, I, got, I went to the issue of interview and they, they give you a screening and um, – which was very good. And then they get a plan in place to what what, what they ask. Also, what do you want to do? And and I said, I, I want to. I want to completely stop, you know, at the first time. And, and so they put me through um, uh, Thorpe House, which is a very good uh, detox and it's very comfortable. Um, they look after you very well. And that's the initial thing you do. And then you go from there and then you might go into, um, you might come and see them every week, once a week, or you, and you might go, and you definitely go to AA, was a really good thing to do. And you go to AA as many times as you can, meet, get, find the group you want, which I did. I found the group I wanted, and um, yeah, you, you might you go into a group and you might find oh I don't really I don't know you spent a couple of times there and you don't really gel with them. It's okay. Go to go to another one. Find another one. There's plenty around. Christchurch mm-hmm. is amazing for how many there actually is compared to the rest of the country. I believe I've heard that from many people. So there, yeah, that. So anyway, I went through that and I went um, and I I got. I was in Thorpe House and I wasn't there for the full three weeks, which was pretty a long time for for many anyway. And I was able to get into a sober house, which I'm currently in now, which mm. I was in then, and it's um, Elm Tree uh, Lodge, which is very it's a sober house. It's really really one run, run well. It's it's um, you can you're pretty much you're free to do what you want with rules mm. in the house. Um, we have morning meetings. Um, we ask how we're doing. Everyone's doing. What are you doing for the so day? So it's supportive of recovery. Supported living yeah. recovery, um, and it's you've got to have a plan of. It, and during the week, you, it's good to have. You've got to have. Um, you're doing something that's helping your recovery. And what I've been doing is programs like Beep. Um, I did also the um, before I moved in there. I did the Bridge Education Program. Yep. That's a living. You can live in or do the tapering. And they all sort of support that going to AA. Yeah, all, everything you go into, where it's either be City Mission, the um, Salvation Army, um, and all that, they all support 
that is um, one part of it, and AA is another part of it. They all ex- when you're in the uh, the bridge program, you could be taken in the van mm. and to various AA meetings. It's just to get you um, started for yeah. when you're out of there and you know, oh, this is what I can do. There's a great bunch of people to meet. There's a whole big community out there and they're really, really supportive. So let's talk a little bit about AA mm-hmm. and about how you found AA and what you what you do now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Initially, AA was very, uh, for many people find it's very, um, you're not sure, unsure, but uh, you give it time and uh, you, you'll get as much out of it is you, you'll find it, it's, it, can, it, it works. It really does. So um, what was the meeting site when you came in? Did, did you feel welcomed? Y- yes. Well, unsure about that one. The first one was a bit, um, I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> and yeah. uh, you do feel very nervous and mm. unsure of the people. But what I did was I stayed behind after after the meeting was finished mm. and I stood there and started to just say hello to people, which is what you should really do because after the meeting, don't just leave. Say good day to people. Um, that some people hang around, have a cigarette or whatever. You, if that's what you're into, and have a chat. Tell them what you tell them you knew, what you're up to, and it's coming. It's and, and it's come well. So I've been doing that for a while now, I guess um, for nearly four months, and um, from where I was in my room. Mm. Um, drinking probably three days a week to now, mm. where I had no hope, no no pros, no work prospects. I was miserable, mm. and then going to this, and then where I am now, it's 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 complete um, one eighty yeah. turnaround. It, it's uh, and if there's anyone like that out there that is sitting just like I was, absolutely miserable with no hope, you make a call, and which I did. So what do you do now to help and support your recovery in terms of AA? What do you – do you do service? What kind of meetings do you do? What? Yes, so uh, yes, I've just um, started – I'm going to hopefully start some service soon. There's a lot of um, – they bring up in meetings, they'll do um, – They'll uh, ask people who wants to volunteer and, and something mm-hmm. and there was just something mentioned at the last meeting on Wednesday mm-hmm. – with uh, helping with birthdays, uh, which I'd really, I'll be getting into. Hopefully, I'll be getting into it. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, I went to a conscious meeting there, and I thought it. So I go around and buy the cards and, and fill them out for people who have AA yeah. birthdays, and I thought that. So I'll be doing that hopefully. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's about going to meetings and trying to help when you're there. Um, and is there anything else that you you know that you find really helpful in your recovery? Um, there was a there's a new guy that's come in and he's just trying to get back into AA and I've been trying to give him some support. So I gave him my number and I gave him a phone because he didn't have one. You do think I find that if, a lot of people have helped me out to get to where I am now, mm. and and I'm so grateful for it. That if I can find anyone that needs help like I needed it, I pass it forward. Oh, you do. It's, yeah. it's all about passing it forward. You know the whole pass it forward thing. It's very you get what you've got to get where you are. You're so grateful, and if anyone's down and out, it's really the thing to do. It's really what it is. It's a big family. It's like a very helpful family. And what advice would you give to someone listening today that may not be familiar with AA? What would you What would you suggest to them? I would suggest, in any means possible, maybe find someone that's an AA and talk to them about it, or go with them. Maybe going with company would be a good idea um, if you're not feeling feeling a bit shy, or which is very normal especially with your uh, people who have been there in that situation. And I make a call. There is um, AA support documentation online mm. to find a le- meeting that's in your area if you maybe have transport issues. 
Um, and you, you might find there's one very close to you just around the corner. Just pop on in. You're welcome to have your start here. Have, make a cup of coffee. There's a nice biscuit there. Have a chat with people. And you'll find it's very welcoming. It's not it's us and them kind of thing. It's nothing like that. It's everyone's welcome. You know? oh. it's, so it's, Thanks, Phil. That's really good advice. Oh, and, welcome. you know, thank you for sharing your story today. You're it's really to good it. to hear you. And um, you. I wish you all the very best with your recovery. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web. We're at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 62 meetings in Canterbury a week and so there's likely one near you. Join us next week to hear more from AA members sharing their experiences. Our show is every Monday at 5.30 on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business, but if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. difference. You've been listening to the AA radio show on Plains FM. Mm-hmm.